Well, I'm preaching about what we believe and why it's important. And we've been talking about the Trinity. Last Sunday we talked about the Father and the Son. And this Sunday we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's important that we know what we believe. But especially when it, when it relates to how we actually live as people and work as a church. And I've been trying to say that these things are not just dry doctrines from the past. But they're very important for how we live and how we approach Christianity. And I think um, what we're going to talk about today in the Holy Spirit is something that the church is needing to sort of rediscover and rethink about. Um, we have been quoting and together sort of professing things from the Westminster documents. Today we're going to be quoting from the Westminster Confession of Faith. You should have had a green paper in your bulletin. From the front of that, we're going to quote a couple things. In the back is actually my sermon outline. So you'll be able to follow along with what we do. Um, This is kind of neat to think about because we are Westminster United Presbyterian Church. And the term Westminster comes from a group in the 1600s that met at Westminster Abbey to try to define a little bit what the church believes and how the church functions at a time when the church was in a lot of chaos. And so you'll find a lot of Westminster Presbyterian churches. There are at least two that I know of in our presbytery. Uh, Three, I think there's three in our presbytery. That's just Beaver and Butler County. Uh, You'll find a lot of these. Because it's an important time period, these were important documents. And so this is kind of part of our namesake. This is a part of who we are that uh, we're trying to get in touch with through this sermon series. We are going to read... Uh, two questions, or, or two parts, 34.1 and 34.2. So those first two paragraphs we're going to read together. And the other two I just gave you so that you would have them to look at later. Uh, so let's stand together. We're going to read these first two paragraphs. Professing the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for this sermon. The Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity... Proceeding from the Father and the Son of the same substance and equal in power and glory is together with the Father and the Son to be believed in, loved, obeyed, and worshipped throughout all ages. He is the Lord and giver of life, everywhere present, and is the source of all good thoughts, pure desires, and holy counsels in men. By him the prophets were moved to speak the word of God, and all the writers of the Holy Scriptures inspired to record infallibly the mind and will of God. The dispensation of the gospel is especially committed to him. Accompanies it with his persuasive power, and urges its message upon the reason and conscience of men, so that they who reject this merciful offer are not only without excuse, but are also guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. Thank you. You can be seated. Two texts today for the sermon. You find them at the bottom of that sheet. First is from John chapter 14. If you love me... You will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot perceive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And from John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I wonder if we had a person who had never been to church, never been around Christians, just didn't understand what Christianity and the church is about the way we have seen it. I wonder if that person picked up and read the Bible. I mean, really read and studied the Bible. And then showed up in our church on a Sunday morning. How different the church might seem to that person than what they would have expected just reading scriptures. I wonder what, what conflicts would be there. What would surprise them about what, how we do church today versus what they see in scriptures. I think there are probably a lot of differences. But I think probably looking at the Bible, there is one thing that would be very different. And that would be the role and the impact of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, is just a game changer. When the Holy Spirit comes, all these disciples that are frail and scared in a room suddenly become bold. Suddenly go out and start changing the world. First time the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people plus are saved. People from all around the world. As soon as the Holy Spirit shows up, the word of Jesus begins to travel. Travel to Africa, travel in all different directions. And the Holy Spirit is a major part of the New Testament. And we could look at it another time, but even a part of the Old Testament. But if you look at the way we approach church today, we just don't talk about the Holy Spirit that much. In fact, there's an excellent book on this by a guy named Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. He calls it that because he considers the Holy Spirit sort of the forgotten part of the Trinity. The forgotten part of this whole faith system. I mean, think about this text we just read. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How many of us actually buy that? How many of us would rather have the Holy Spirit than Jesus? I mean, in, in my thinking, I would much rather have Jesus here. I'd much rather have the person of Jesus. It's kind of hard to connect with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I can understand. I think that's because many of us have not really connected with the Holy Spirit. We don't understand how to. We don't understand a lot about the Holy Spirit. In Presbyterian churches, we just don't talk about it very much. Especially Presbyterian churches. And so, Jesus' words here seem foolish to us. Why would we want the Holy Spirit? Why is it to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit and not Jesus? Well, it's to our advantage because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't just have God near us, we have God in us and among us. 
And so this morning, I want to unpack that a little bit. Talk about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and how can we connect with that a little bit more. First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Very important that you ask that question the right way. We don't say, what is the Holy Spirit? We have a tendency to want to call the Holy Spirit it when we talk about the Holy Spirit. It comes, it goes. But if you notice in the scriptures, that is not how the Holy Spirit is talked about. The Holy Spirit is talked about as a person. Him, the Bible says. Now some of that, I think, comes from our tendency to want to take the gender stuff out of the Godhead. But the Bible says Him. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person as a member of the Trinity. If you weren't here for the Trinity sermon, I can't give that one again right now, but... The idea is that God is one God, and yet somehow God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, it sort of holds this tension of it's one God. So much so that Jesus can say, I will come to you in our John 14 passage when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will come to you. Or another place, he says, I will send my Holy Spirit, my spirit. He calls it my spirit. I will come to you. And yet the Holy Spirit is also in some way distinct from Jesus and from the Father. But the Holy Spirit is a person. A person that's fully God. We said that in our Westminster Confession. Equal in power and glory of the same substance. He's not a lesser God. That's the view we sort of seem to have with the Trinity. We've got the Father who's the real God. And we've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're sort of like demigods, lower gods. And when we draw the Trinity, we tend to draw it as a triangle like that. That's really not how it is. Equal in substance, worthy of power and glory. So just like you pray to God the Father, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can call out to the Holy Spirit. You can worship the Holy Spirit. Referred to as a person, not an it. And the Holy Spirit is really the power The inward presence. Anytime God goes to do something in the Bible, He typically does it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power. My language, not biblical, probably not real accurate, but I think of the Holy Spirit a little bit like the battery of the Godhead. If something's going to get done, it's the Holy Spirit that's part of that doing. So in creation, we have a spirit hovering over the waters. This sort of mist that we interpret as the Holy Spirit. When Jesus goes to become flesh, how is he conceived? He's conceived of the Virgin Mary through the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? I mean, the Holy Spirit, first of all, is power. Jesus says in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And if you go through and read the book of Acts, you find these Christians are just totally changed by this power. Peter, who is denying Jesus, but 40 days, 80 days earlier, is now bold enough to stand on the street and proclaim him to thousands of people. To get arrested. These Christians get stoned. They get crucified. And they're willing to do that. Why? Not because of their own boldness. We have proof of how unbold the disciples all were. Jesus gets arrested and they run. The only one that doesn't run is Peter, and he denies Jesus. I mean, there's a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. He is called our helper, sometimes interpreted our comforter 
or our advocate. There's a part of the role of the Holy Spirit that we see in scriptures that when you're down and when you're going through difficult times and you don't think you can go any further, the Holy Spirit comes to you, comforts you, brings peace to you. I don't know if you've ever prayed and had a peace come over you, been stressed about something and God really relieved that. But that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit teaches and reveals God. And so he's also very involved in the understanding of Scripture. Not just the understanding, the writing of Scripture. Our understanding is that that the Holy Spirit inspires Scriptures to be written and then sits with you when you go to read the Bible and helps you to interpret them. That's part of what God does. If if God's going to do something in this world, if there's going to be power like making you understand something, the Holy Spirit is going to be a part of it. In John 16, we see that, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness. What the Holy Spirit will do is it, it, it pokes, it prods at people. So that you know. This is sort of part of your conscience sometimes. That the Holy Spirit lets you know when something's not right. Or that there's better ways that you could be. Or better things that you can do. The Holy Spirit indwells Christians. There's something that happens when you become a Christian where the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And it's part of salvation, really. That the Holy Spirit comes into your life and regenerates, makes you new, makes you complete. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and makes the work of Jesus on the cross effective in your life so that your life begins to change. Why? Because that's an action of God. And if God is doing some kind of acting, the Holy Spirit is involved. Romans 8.26 talks about the Holy Spirit praying for us. You you may want to mark that text. Romans 8.26. What it says is that when when we don't know what to pray. Have you ever been in that position where you're so down and you're so overwhelmed? You're mourning a loss. You're just so stressed. You don't even know what to pray. You don't even know what to say anymore. What that text says is the Holy Spirit comes and prays to God on your behalf. With, with, with utterances, with words you can't even understand. That when you can't pray for yourself anymore, the Holy Spirit goes before God for you. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does is gives us spiritual gifts. There's neat texts there. I've preached on this before. I'm not going to get into it too much today. But the understanding of spiritual gifts is that you have at least one or two spiritual gifts. Things that God puts in you to be good at to be able to bring to the church, to be able to bring to the kingdom. And what the Holy Spirit does is sort of unlock that in your life. Um, they're not just talents. Talents are different. Okay, I, For instance, this is an easy way to explain this. I, I've known plenty of teachers who are very good elementary school teachers or high school teachers or college teachers who don't actually have the spiritual gift of teaching. They're just good teachers. Spiritual gift of teaching involves spiritual teaching means opening the Word of God to people. Helping them to understand God's role in their life. That's different. That's a spiritual gift. And I think what happens is, as a Christian, you sort of have that within you. And then when you become a Christian, you start to use it. The Holy Spirit unlocks it. Sort of starts running. Sort of starts flowing for you. I hope you can see, this is not an exhaustive list. The Holy Spirit of of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is probably the one most difficult to define what it does because 
It's involved in so much in Scripture. But I think this idea that the Holy Spirit is the power, the doer, the presence. If God's going to work in our lives, the Holy Spirit is going to be a part of it. Now, the question is, you can see from all these verses, the Holy Spirit is a major part of Scripture. And yet, how many of you have heard very few sermons on the Holy Spirit? We just don't talk about it that much. It's just not a real regular part of, I mean, technically next week is Pentecost. That's the one Sunday that you might get a Holy Spirit sermon. Presbyterians just don't talk about it that much. There are other denominations that they talk about it a lot, maybe too much. But why do we tend to have these reservations about the Holy Spirit? One thing is, I, I think we just don't understand the Holy Spirit. Some of us have just never been taught how to think about the Holy Spirit. I think some of us have reservations because we've seen and heard about crazy things people do with the Holy Spirit. Have you heard stories of crazy things? People speak in tongues, speak in other languages that they don't know. People shake. You know, we've seen stories of people handling snakes. And we think if we start talking about the Holy Spirit, someday somebody's going to bring a rattlesnake in this church. Right? Right? It's, ner- it's a little nerve-wracking because we've seen people that get a little crazy with it. Besides the fact that what if I really started listening to, to the Holy Spirit and I started feeling called to do something crazy that's not like rattlesnake crazy. But like, what if the Holy Spirit actually wanted me to leave my job and go do something else? What if I'm called to be a missionary? What if I'm called to be a pastor? What if I'm called to do something different with my time that I maybe don't want to do at first glance? And so it's just easier for us to keep the Holy Spirit a little bit at bay so we don't have to do those things. Some have argued that this is just for the early church, that that the Holy Spirit doesn't move the same way today. He was just involved in that way in the early church so that it could get started, and now we don't need the Holy Spirit the same way anymore. The problem is, I think that argument is kind of stupid. I, I don't understand it in the Bible at all. I think that's another excuse to not have to deal with the Holy Spirit. What if he calls me to look foolish? What if, what if the Holy Spirit calls me to say something to somebody else that they don't want to hear and I lose my reputation for it? What if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up? I find that that is one of the key things that people keep people from praying. Is they're worried, what if God doesn't show up? What if I he- pray for healing and the healing doesn't come? What will that do for God? What will that do for my faith? What if it's not the Holy Spirit guiding me? This actually is a very good question. How do I know if it's me or if it's the Holy Spirit talking to me? A lot of people don't know how to discern that. And you have to discern that. 1 John 4, 1 through 6 talks about testing the spirits. What if I'm... The Bible also talks in 1 Thessalonians about quenching the spirit. What it says is sometimes the Holy Spirit goes to work in your life and you stamp it out. You put the fire out. You can do that by literally just, no, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to do that. You can also do that by pretending you didn't hear it. You can also do that by having sin and other things in your life that put it out. I think there's a lot of reasons why we have reservations about the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, I think there are three big ones. Three big things that we have problems with that I think are at the heart of our struggles with the Holy Spirit. Number one... 
I think it is easier to think of God being somewhere else than to think of God being with and within us. Let's be honest. If God's way up in heaven somewhere, I can pretty much ignore that God. And if that God wants to give me, get my attention, he can use some lightning or you know, something else to really get my attention. I'll just wait for that God to show up and really get my attention before I have to do anything. But I can't ignore a God that's within me. I can't ignore a God that quietly and subtly leads and speaks to me. Second, I think it's easier to follow God someday than it is to follow God today. It's easy to say to yourself, if God ever calls me to do something, I will do it. And then sit back and wait, and if He never calls you, you don't have to do it. But what I have found is that actually in the Bible, characters don't normally get called by God in some big, huge way. They get called to little things. Daily things. That's our problem with the Holy Spirit. Continuation of that. It is easier to wait for God's will to be fully revealed than to daily rely on God's guidance. I, I can't find a single character in the whole Bible that God ever gave his full plan to. Not one. God never asks us to do something and then lays out all 30 steps that we're going to go through. I'll tell you what God does. He gives you step number one. And you walk step number one, and then he gives you number two. And you step walk number two. But to be able to live a Christian faith like that, you have to be daily relying on his guidance. Daily be asking God what you want to do. But that's a lot of work. And so what a lot of us Christians do is we sit back and wait for God to give us a whole plan. But I'm telling you, whole Bible, never saw it happen. All the Christians I've ever talked to, I've ever read or read about, never happened. Psalm says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto your path. That's not a lot of light. That's this much light that you walk and then you can see a little further. And this much light and you can walk and see a little further. That's what life in the Holy Spirit is like. And it scares us. But if this doctrine of the Holy Spirit is true, if the Holy Spirit is really within us, the power of God is really within us. If Jesus is right, and it's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit is here, and He is not, then we can no longer ignore the Holy Spirit, and we've got to start living a life that daily seeks to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say today? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? We've got to start walking daily, hourly, moment by moment, in God's presence, because moment by moment, He's with us. Not just when we show up in church, not just when God sends lightning, not when things are bad, but all the time. So let me give you a couple of thoughts on how to start maybe a little more hearing and feeling and relying on the Holy Spirit. First of all, let's get some expectations really clear. A lot of people, when, they, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, what they think is that they're going to be happy all the time, that it's going to be clear all the time, that suddenly they're going to start hearing the Holy Spirit all the time. Clear voices. Jordan, do this. Okay, yeah, I got that. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit, there is no expectation. There's no normal. There's no formula when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I know people who are really full of the Holy Spirit that go through real dry times. Where they don't really feel them. Where they don't really hear them. Where they don't really hear a lot of voice. Where things don't work out well. 
So, so you got to drop all your expectations. Just because you're depressed, just because you're going through a lot, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not with you. Does it, you're not going to always feel it. You're not always going to feel good. You're not always going to hear it. It's not always going to seem real close to you. So, so drop your expectations and just be open. That's the whole thing with the Holy Spirit. Just be open. Start, here, here's some other helps. Start praying to the Holy Spirit. I said this with the Trinity sermon. Most of us pray to God the Father. We're Presbyterians. We, that's what we do. Pray to the Father. Start praying to the Holy Spirit. This will open your spirituality up. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me today? Holy Spirit, I'm opening the Bible. Teach me something today. And you'll be amazed if you start praying to the Holy Spirit, start looking to the Holy Spirit daily, what the Holy Spirit might do. The Holy Spirit very often speaks through the Bible. We already said that. The Holy Spirit was part of the writing of Scripture, part of the interpretation of Scripture. So if you want more Holy Spirit, I would suggest more Bible and more prayer time. That's how you start to test whether what the Holy Spirit is telling you is you or the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to ask you to do something that conflicts with Scripture. He's not going to ask you to do something that conflicts with the character of God. And so the more you understand the Scripture, the better you're going to be at interpreting whether it's you and your ideas or the Holy Spirit. Also, when you do your prayer time, have you ever been in a one-sided relationship before? Anybody have friends that they do all the talking and you do none of the talking? Or do you have friends where you do all the talking and they never talk? You probably don't know if that's you. Um, Those relationships are not good relationships. And for most of us, our relationship with God is exclusively one-sided. I talk to God and God never has a chance to talk to me. You know what's really good in your spiritual life? Some quiet. Give God a little bit of room. Give the Holy Spirit a little bit of room to speak to you. Okay? The Holy Spirit is sometimes described as a whisper, small voice. Give Him a little space. Develop a desire to do God's will in every area of your life, especially the little things. Everybody prays when they're going to have kids, when they're going to buy a house, when they're losing their job. People who are not Christians pray just on the chance it might be true. That's not real spiritual when you pray for big things. If you want to grow your spiritual life, pray to the Holy Spirit on your little things. Lord Jesus, how do I deal with this person at work? Start praying for little things. Care about what God says for your little things. And, and finally, work on being able to discern what's the Holy Spirit and what's you. Um, I know for me, I tend to be very much self-reliant and sort of go get them. And when I feel like the Holy Spirit's maybe leading me to something that's going to make me do a lot of work and be real self-reliant, I automatically know, because I know myself by now, that I better pull that back and listen just a little bit longer. And I find often the Holy Spirit may have been saying something to me, but it gets muddled by my own, my own sin. So you've got to learn how to do that. You've got to read the scripture. And also compare with the community. Christianity is never meant to be done by yourself. It's not just you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit hanging out and doing your own thing. You go to church. So that when you think the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something, you can say, hey, do you think the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this? Somebody can say, yeah, I, th- I think maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you to do that. Or they can say, no, you're an idiot. The Holy Spirit would never say that. You can double check it. We have community. My point is this. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. 
What if God really wants to speak to you, to hear from you, not just once a week, not just in little things that you do, like a devotional time. What if God wants to speak to you all the time? What if God wants to really be part of your life? Let me challenge you to consider that and to be open to that. And I think that the Holy Spirit will guide you on that quest. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. We are sorry that because of our doubts and because of our sin and because we're unsure, we have quenched you at times from being a power in our lives, from speaking to us, from working through us. Open up our clenched fists. Amen.